need some motivation on your Chinese business endeavor, may be curious about what the Chinese business environment is all about, or want to laugh out loud listening to war stories on the ground in China, then this is your show, China Business Cast. Hey, how are you doing? Welcome to the new episode. It's Lina today, and I'm really excited. I'll be talking to my friend Raymond, and at the end of the episode, we'll announce the winners of the previous contest and reveal a new contest. So it's going to be packed. I'm really excited because、uh, I have been working with Raymond for about six years, and he has been extremely helpful in many situations when we just didn't know what to do. And so we will be sharing stories about the, what it is that a customs compliance consultant can do for you in China, and when you should reach out to this person. Well, just a quick tip:、uh, we suggest、uh, to reach out before you ship anything at all, just so you're in control. So yeah, I'm very excited, and、uh, hope you like it. Welcome everyone to the new episode of China Business Cast. Today I'm talking to my friend Raymond. Mm. Mm. <laughs> that is your surname, right? Yes, that is my surname. I couldn't surname. believe it for the first <laughs> few years. I think. <laughs> yeah.、Uh, so Raymond comes from Man- Manchester, United、uh, Kingdom,、um, but he is actually Hong Kongese, and、um, he grew up in a Hong Kongese family, speaking fluent Cantonese. And arrived to China in 2011 to study in Nottingham University. And today he is responsible、uh, for business development in a customs compliance、uh, or Chinese importation regula- regulatory company called Accestra. So welcome, Raymond. Thank you very much for finding the time. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's、uh, my pleasure to participate in this、uh, podcast today, and、uh, thank you very much for the invitation. I'm always very interested to bring valuable market knowledge and、uh, valuable insights and tips to the listeners. So I think you have been one of my, you know, most valuable source of information. And、um, I think we just discussed that we probably worked on close to fifty. Different brands in helping them、uh, design their products or adjust their labelings for China importations. So, I hope that、uh, the listeners will also benefit the same way that I benefited from working with you. <laughs> and, and, and likewise, it's mutual.、Uh, it's it's really interesting and、uh, to learn about the market, the market insights、uh, from from your side on a on a. Very ground level understanding yeah, consumer,、mm-hmm. understanding uh, distribution uh, partners. So it, it's yeah, it, it's really it's, it's it's been great working with you over the years to to support Lithuanian businesses and and、uh, businesses from different countries、uh, for guiding them to export their products、uh, step by step、mm. to meet the requirements and to register their products. I think、um, we just discussed that、um, I learned the importance of working with you in 2015. First, when、um, I got approached by a company to import salmon products to China, and it was a very big market. And by talking to you and your colleague Helen, we identified that cross-border e-commerce in Hangzhou was an opportunity there. There was one、um, warehouse, that bonded warehouse, that could accept salmon. 
to be traded in uh, cross-border e-commerce. And then the whole business strategy was built on that idea and it disappeared overnight because the regulations suddenly changed. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I think it just highlights how important um, keeping up with the regulatory changes in China. Mm -hmm. And as China is evolving, um, being a country, uh, a market economy for uh, just around 1980, so around 40 mm -hmm. years now. So a lot of the regulations is evolving and developing right. and um, really, really important to, to follow up and, and, and catch up with what's happening. Mm. Okay, so maybe yeah. you can tell us the, what do you do in China right now and how is it going? Um, so so um, uh, I am... I'm working for Accessra, as, as you mentioned, we, we help with uh, uh, regulatory compliance, um, outsourcing. Um, so for the past eight years, um, I've been um, doing exactly what you've been saying, uh, helping companies with uh, guiding them uh, step by step, understanding what the rules and requirements are. Um, and it's been, it's been a, such a journey and um, really understanding how things have evolved in China so quickly. Um, so I actually started out in China uh, 10 years ago when I had the opportunity to um, to study here uh, at the University of Nottingham. Um, I studied at the University of Nottingham in the UK, but then uh, they have a campus in China. So I did a, an exchange program. I had the opportunity to... And what did you study? I studied international management and Chinese studies mm. where I got to learn about China in the UK. <laughs> so from the aspect what of did you learning learn? Chinese language, firstly, mm -hmm. the Mandarin at a very basic level back mm -hmm. then, and also understanding about the history, uh, the culture, uh, the economy, um, and some of the reforms that have happened. So I was learning China um, for a textbook, so it was, mm. it was it was a very different perspective when I when I when I arrived here. Um, a big culture shock initially, but very quickly. What um, was most shocking? Um, for me, uh, the most shocking was really um, the difference in expectation of the culture. Mm. How I understood Chinese culture from uh, at home mm. and back at home in Manchester and through the media channels. Uh, I only really ever traveled to Hong Kong um, mm. uh, for holidays. Um, so it was Hong Kong back then being very different. Um, yeah. <laughs> a completely um, cosmopolitan city. So being here in the mainland China um, was really, really exciting. Culturally, it's very, very different. Um, but I really, really loved this place. I fell in love um, literally and also... Found my love uh, married here now mm -hmm. with my with my wife uh, last year. So. Congratulations! <laughs> thank thank you very much. Something good came out of pandemic <laughs> for you. <laughs> yes. Like twenty twenty for the rest of the world is like. <laughs> yeah, some some positive there, yeah. and, uh, but yeah, it, it was so so um, really really um, understanding China through the lens. Uh, being here and also through um, my wife's family, mm. really understanding the culture and being embedded here for, for around 10 years is really 
it's really changed my perspective on how China is and, and mm. what China uh, is now. Um, so yeah, I, I studied, I studied international management and Chinese studies, um, and continued to do a master's here as well. So why did you the, choose this uh, subject for your university? I chose uh, international management and business because I've always been curious um, about doing business and and bringing business to China. Mm. So I've always wanted to help uh, international businesses to uh, internationalize and export. And I wanted to be in the process. I mm. wanted to help companies do that. And the best way or the, the opportunity came when... I was offered a, a, a compliance, a regulatory compliance job to actually mm-hmm. do just that. And you did help. that immediately after the university. Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just and and to help companies uh, uh, um, bring their products to China is very rewarding for, for mm-hmm. me uh, mm-hmm. personally. I think what we talked about before is one of the previous podcasts that uh, I shared was the whole journey of a Lithuanian mayonnaise brand, which you helped um, to identify that their mayonnaise in China would be considered a salad dressing. And then the whole story afterwards, you kind of didn't know. So then by my sharing this and working with me, you would be able to know what happens after you already helped uh, the companies with the initial step, because um, it's very clear that it's a very fundamental service, but it is only one of the many that are required to make it. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and, and it really requires a lot of um, effort and partnership with, mm-hmm. um, with, with the local teams, uh, mm-hmm. working with uh, mm-hmm. Li Tao, Lina, mm-hmm. and, and, and helping a company understand how to get their products into China mm-hmm. really starts with the first step of understanding whether my product has mm. Mac access. Mm. And if it has Mac access, what are the requirements to do so, to mm. register? So it's really going back one step mm. is firstly understanding that question mm-hmm. and then to understand the market, whether your products can actually be sold in China. Mm-hmm. Mm. And the people always expect the distributors to know this. Mm. Or the importance to know this. So yes. why would you think it's important to have a second opinion before you talk to a distributor? Yeah, so um, that's a really good question. And it's really interesting that many exporters, they rely on the mm-hmm. importer, mm-hmm. local importer, to, to, to help with uh, the customs compliance. Mm. And China culture being China culture, mm-hmm. um, yes is always... The answer. Oh. So yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I can help you. Whatever, mm-hmm. whatever problems you have, I can help. Yes, no problem. Mm. So it, it and they sign exclusive agreement yes. on the basis of being the yes person. Right? Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and a lot of the distributors actually do not have the expertise in mm-hmm. regulation. Mm-hmm. So because the, it's changing so yeah, fast. Like they don't have the manpower to go through all of these different SKUs that yes. the foreigners are sending their way, expecting them to choose. Mm. Yeah. And because they're not expertise in regulatory, uh, although they say they can help. Um, so we've had cases or companies where they've relied completely on the distributor to, to fulfill all the regulatory requirements. And once the products arrive into China, they find they find out that the product cannot access the China market because 
a particular ingredient was not compliant or a, um, or a, uh, labeling, um, issue, a mm-hmm. Chinese labeling issue, because of course the label has to be compliant with the labeling rules in China. So, so by that time, the, um, the company, sometimes they come to us too late. So it's like rescuing, um, a house on fire rather than preventing. So the first step really is, um, taking the steps, um, a proactive step backwards to understand what the requirements first and then exporting. So it, it's really a crucial lesson for, for many exporters is to not completely rely on the, um, importer, but to have a third opinion, um, and to make sure you do you take control of your own, uh, of your own compliance for your products. So I remember a few stories of working with you. One, for example, we had a product that is made out of uh, surimi, which is a fish product, mm. and uh, crab sticks um, in China couldn't have soy sauce in their ingredient list according to the Chinese standard of crab sticks. Mm. So then if you have that, then the product wouldn't be called crab sticks, but would have to be called something else. But yeah. then by working with you, we were able to list soy sauce as colorant, salt, and water. You know, so we defined the ingredients which were allowed for that particular product category. But then uh, because, let's say, the importer doesn't have that expertise, the people overseas have been selling it overseas and it was okay according to their country's regulations. So this, if overlooked, would result in lots of losses, right? Like returned goods, maybe confiscated, maybe lots of relabeling when already in the customs, or I don't know, how would that work then? Yeah, so <coughs> so um, that, that is exactly a, a great case study. And, and I think... Um, usually when, when the products get rejected by customs, the first thing the distributor does is, um, call the exporter and say, uh, oh, we have this problem and I don't want to take the responsibility. It's, it's, uh, it's faulty products. It's faulty product, they say, yes. Mm-hmm. So, so it's no longer the, the sort of responsibility of the distributor. So, who then takes the losses of uh, the container of the goods. Um, so then it becomes a very, um, a bit of a tennis game. You're, you're mm-hmm. sort of battling between the two. So you don't, you don't want to be stuck in that type of argument. Um, you want to be, you want to have a smooth market entry. And I think with, with that, with, with that particular, with that particular issue, it, it's, Customs will either say you can re- you can uh, redirect the products back home mm-hmm. or to a different market, or basically the products will be destroyed mm-hmm. in the uh, in the in the customs and the mm-hmm. ports. So, so, do you know any statistics how many containers get destroyed every year in China, or how many containers? Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 quite a large amount. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the numbers are, right? are huge, um, and and 
And that's because of very, very simple uh, mistakes. Some, mm-hmm. some can be very, very simple. For you, it's simple because um, you've been doing this for eight years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so some can be very, just very careless. Mm-hmm. Um, we had one, um, one client, uh, who exported their, um, their products with uh, wrong labeling. So the wrong shelf, the, the wrong uh, shelf life. So the expiry date was the 29th of uh, February. And last year, the products <laughs> had 29th of uh, February. Um, but then there was a real, the, 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 the t- of course, what happened there was the 29th of February didn't exist mm-hmm. for, for, for this year. So that, that was a, that was a big problem. Um, and customs saw that as a, uh, as a labeling problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they had to do was they had to relabel the products mm-hmm. at the port. So mm-hmm. that meant extra cost. So it can sometimes just be carelessness. It can be sometimes just very simple mistakes. And other times it could be not really understanding how your product is classified. Mm-hmm. So, um, another, Another interesting case was relating to a chocolate biscuit. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how does China customs or China standards classify a chocolate biscuit? Mm-hmm. Um, is it a chocolate product or is it a biscuit product? Mm-hmm. So how do you determine whether it fits in which standard? Mm-hmm. So then you have to uh, look at the standard uh, understand the definitions, understanding whether um, that chocolate biscuit meets the chocolate standard better or does it meet the biscuit standard better. So you still so, have to analyze. Um, mm. The way my clients ask me is yeah. which shelf this product would reach in a supermarket. And they would then adjust the ingredient list to meet the standard that is required for them to position themselves in the way that they want to position. Because it's not only the customs compliance question, but also a business question. Like, do you want to sell this product as chocolate or do you want to sell this product as as biscuit? Mm. And then the second point, I think, which is very overlooked often, is that probably the biscuit and the chocolate would have a different tax rate. And uh, what we're seeing with alcohol, there is a consumption tax sometimes as well on top of VAT. You know, so all of these products according to their classification, would have a different price structure after importation. So, like, there are a lot of games you can play if you know these things. But if you don't, then you're totally relying on the importer who then sometimes doesn't have the time to put into this thinking of how to position this product. Yeah, Yeah. I I think you make a really good point. It's not only from a marketing perspective, but also... Uh, from the tariff perspective, from, from a compliance perspective. So understanding the different factors and, and how to, how to best choose the, the right balance, uh, whilst meeting compliance requirements, but also, um, optimizing from a market perspective, the returns. Hmm. Okay. So I think for me, it's very clear after working with you for what, six years. <laughs> But maybe for other people, it's less clear what does customs compliance mean. So I will explain from my perspective what kind of questions we usually have for you. One is we will be sending the label. Two, we will be sending the package 
and three, we will be sending the ingredient lists. And this would be the very primary screening because I think what people don't know is usually the HS code, the harmonized code for the customs is different in China for the same product as you're used to overseas. So this is the first uh, task that we usually ask you to look at. And then secondly, what people usually don't realize as well is if you write some words on the packaging that are English words, actually they will also be looked at very carefully by the customs. And only then we look into the ingredients and into the label itself. So maybe you can explain the, the bigger picture of what is customs compliance analysis, so what is the regulatory analysis, and what is your daily job, what kind of questions the people come to you? Yeah, um, I, th- I, and I, th- uh, I think you, you really uh, clarified the different materials that are usually uh, required f- for the first steps. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so understanding... Um, what are the requirements for your product is the, the first major step. Mm. So understanding, um, what category or what standard fits, um, your, your product category. And really it's, um, after you share the ingredients, uh, list, um, we go through each ingredient, um, whether it meets the, the scope or the standard or the requirements of that, of that standard, of that product category standard and go through the different requirements together on, on the different testing and also the nutritional requirements. Um, and then we advise on, um, if, for example, an ingredient is not allowed to be used, um, uh, which ones are not allowed to be used and which ones can be used, um, once you, once you share the ingredient with us. And another thing is the labeling uh, claims. What you can claim in the EU and what you can claim in China is very, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, natural, um, natural is a word, um, that is commonly used in Europe yeah. or the US, but actually, how it's defined in China is very different, uh, mainly only used for organic products. Mm-hmm. Um, so the labeling... But organic with Chinese certification of organic. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So I think you mentioned a really good point about organic is even if a product is organic in your own country, mm-hmm. the organic system is independent mm-hmm. from uh, your, uh, the system in the in Europe so you would need to have organic registration in China mm-hmm. in order to make those claims so um, organic is a completely uh, different story yeah. <laughs> which <laughs> which we could even create another podcast for yeah, about yeah. the requirements for organic yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, understand well, if anybody wants to you know <laughs> Um, have this podcast created, please reach out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're happy to. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, starting firstly from uh, the ingredients list. Uh, secondly, is looking at the claims of the uh, product labeling. Uh, and then thirdly, is designing a Chinese label that is compliant to the Chinese labeling rules. And uh, fourthly, you mentioned about the HS code. It mm-hmm. can be um, different 
in in China compared to in, the in world. other countries, the world. <laughs> so it could be the same or、mm-hmm. it could be different. But that really depends on how customs、mm-hmm. uh, determines、um, what tariff rate or what tariff code is most suitable for your product according to which product standard.、Mm-hmm. So if your product standard, as I mentioned, is according to、um, a chocolate product,、mm-hmm. then it should. DHS code should be corresponding to、um, DHS code for chocolate,、mm-hmm. although it's a chocolate biscuit. Right. So, so then you have to think about which DHS code should I should I use, which is the lowest,、mm-hmm. but actually, but also meets the requirements of、uh, of of your product category. Is、mm-hmm. it a chocolate or biscuit?、Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think it's not finished when you clear the customs because there are all of these.、Um, Consumer rights groups who are constantly looking for changing standards, and they will be filing、uh, claims. And any brand that didn't、uh, have the proper labeling, for example, in a supermarket, but now probably on online as well, they will be facing fines. Yeah. So so、uh, <laughs> customs have、um, have taken a very different.、Uh, Different、uh, concept to how they、um, how they govern or regulate um, um, the responsibility of the responsibility of、uh, safety and compliance. No longer they take on the responsibility、uh, from customs. They shift the responsibility over to the exporter、mm-hmm. and also the importer、mm-hmm. to make sure the product is compliant.、Mm-hmm. So even if you pass customs. Um, successfully, it does not mean、um, that your product、uh, is, is is will be will be fine after it enters the China market because、um, China SAMA、uh, um, is another authority that does the、uh, mystery shopping, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. which、uh, they 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 go to supermarkets and then they also randomly select products to do. Uh, inspection.、Mm-hmm. So inspection from the point of view of checking if the it meets the、uh, labeling requirements,、uh, whether it meets the testing requirements.、Mm-hmm. So that's one angle where um, um, Sama will do、uh, in-market inspection、mm-hmm. even after customs.、Right. And another perspective, as you mentioned, is a whole industry of、uh, consumer complainers.、Mm-hmm. They professional are, consumer complainers, yeah, right? Yeah, professional <laughs> consumer complainers. How they make their money? These are almost、um, like an industry of lawyers、uh, who who understand the regulations very very well, <laughs> and they specifically target、uh, a lot of foreign companies,、mm, or foreign、mm. brands、uh, selling in the supermarkets,、mm. and. They identify any problems with、uh, the product, whether it's the labeling issue, whether, it, for example, they 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 ad- identify、um, some problems or、mm-hmm. violation. And what they do is they buy、uh, lots of products,、mm-hmm. and then they can report to the authorities to get compensation for each product. For、bought. each product、mm-hmm. bought, the value they they buy. Uh, or the transaction amount, they could potentially get around ten times the value、mm-hmm. uh, of compensation.、Mm-hmm. So it's really, really important that 
compliance doesn't stop after you um, pass clear the customs. Clear the customs yeah. But the onus is on the exporter making sure that you're compliant, making sure your product is compliant from the very, very beginning. Yeah, and not, and not until you find out there's a problem when the when 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 the products have already arrived in the, the, the shelves. So I have a story from a friend. Mm. He was selling probiotics uh, that are produced in UK. Vegan probiotics, very good brand. I was actually buying it myself. And um, some regulations changed, which he didn't know about mm. because you wouldn't be able to follow up with all the changes. And suddenly he had a spike of uh, goods purchased. Like people were coming and buying it in dozens, you know. And it's a very expensive product. So it was, you know, very good success, he believed. And then after one month, all of these um, you know, complaints started piling in and he had to pay out... Uh, couple million renminbi and all the stock he had to lose so now he has closed that company completely mm. yeah it, it can be very serious um some of yeah we, we've we've experienced quite a few cases where clients have come to us too late mm. with uh, uh professional consumer complaints right. who've filed um a problem regarding the labeling Correct. or other problems mm -hmm. and it, it, it really really just demonstrates how important it is to uh, take regulation seriously in mm -hmm. China um, because the distributor will not take the blame for this mm, right? Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah the, the distributor will um, will argue of course mm -hmm. uh, uh, penalty being penalty they'll have an argument about um, whose responsibility is it shall we you know we don't want to share the cost or if we do share the cost it's still a lot of money mm -hmm. um, so it, yeah you want to avoid that at all costs if, in if my possible. friend's situation it was the end of that business yeah. just yes. finished there's mm -hmm. no work to go anymore yes yes so so China so in terms of millions it was uh, so, so China is a very um, exciting market a very big market but also you want to uh, make sure you prepare uh, make sure you do things um, sustainably, build a long-term business, uh, not only a quick trade, mm -hmm. um, sell a container and that's it. That's, um, that's a mindset where a lot of exporters take, um, but actually if you want to develop or take the business seriously and actually do well in China with lots of opportunities, then it's very important to do, um, to have a commitment and to have an investment, not only money, but also time, mm -hmm. uh, investing in the resources of partnership, um, local partnership, mm -hmm. because how you, how you manage the business from where you're sitting in the office in Lithuania or at home is very, very different being on the ground. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to have that network of partnerships mm -hmm. or friends mm -hmm. um, on the ground who can help you and support you when there are any issues and not only be solely res solely reliant on the distributor because that, that would be a very uh, uh, unwise move yeah, to put all your eggs into one basket as they mm -hmm. say. <laughs> 
and I, I feel like there is a lot of education to be done. Do you think um, that uh, Chinese customs are stricter than the customs in other Asian countries? Are they stricter than the customs in the EU or United States? Why is it uh, so often overlooked? Because I'm sure the exporters uh, work uh, successfully in other countries. So how yeah. come when they come to China, they're suddenly forgetting all the lessons that they have learned in other <laughs> situations? Yeah. Well, I think it's only it's only it's only strict or only difficult um, if if you if you don't invest the time and effort. Uh, to, to actually understanding mm. the local requirements. It can be quite easy if you, if you actually, um, you know, and, and, and I know, I know many companies who, who, who find it quite simple because they, they take the right steps. They know the right people, uh, to help them. Um, and it can, it can be a simple, um, process. It doesn't have to be, uh, difficult. Um, And when you mention it's, is it stricter compared to other countries in Asia and EU and, um, US? Uh, I wouldn't say it's, uh, completely, uh, stricter, um, because China actually references a lot of the standards from US, mm-hmm. Europe and Japan. So they do reference international standards, but, uh, China will pick and choose. The best standard, mm-hmm. the strictest. Um, not necessarily the strictest. Mm-hmm. How do you mean the best? It, what is the best? Sort of the best accor- according to what they think is suitable for mm-hmm. their situation. Mm-hmm. How how the system or how the standard best fits with the uh, China situation of mm-hmm. uh, regulating safety, consumer food safety, for example. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, generally they would pick and choose the different international standards and then combine it to their own system mm-hmm. um, and there are cases or uh, certain testing items mm-hmm. they could be stricter uh, compared to the US or Europe mm-hmm. standard um, but that's very specific to a, a product category mm-hmm. or, or a, a particular standard so really it depends The answer is a difficult one because it really depends on the product mm-hmm. category. But generally speaking, if you do the right things, then it can actually be broken mm-hmm. down into very, very simple steps mm-hmm. and uh, it could be quite smooth. Yeah. Well, so now um, the latest case that we're discussing and that you're working on at the moment is hemp. So what we found is that hemp uh, is considered currently a food ingredient in China, but because there are no bilateral agreements from my client's uh, country of origin, which is one, Lithuania, two, Canada, so neither of these two countries have signed an agreement with China for the availability to import the hemp uh, seeds or hemp products. Mm. Um, so that's why... It seems like it's not a more difficult or more strict market, but there is no market. It's just not possible until these bilateral agreements are signed. Yes. So every country will have their own uh, bilateral agreement. Mm-hmm. Every country uh, will negotiate with another country about what, um, what, um, especially for plant and animal origin mm-hmm. products. Mm-hmm. 
usually these balash agreements are for commodity products. Mm-hmm. So raw materials mm-hmm. like your meat, your vegetables, your fruits, um, these types of raw ingredients mm-hmm. are usually needed for balash agreement. Mm-hmm. So um, one way around the balash agreement um, is actually having a product combined or an ingredient that is combined with other ingredients. Mm-hmm. Like, like a chocolate biscuit. Yeah. So you so, cannot deduct to coffee beans or yeah, so cacao you, beans. Yeah, or exactly. <laughs> so, you, so you might not be able to export the, um, the cacao. Cacao, <laughs> cacao, yeah, cacao beans or, or, or the raw material mm-hmm. of the chocolate um, because they don't have the bars cream. But you could process process it into a chocolate or into a biscuit to make it into a, um, compliant, a, item. a compliant item, which mm-hmm. does not require the bilateral agreement. So it was really interesting. We had a, a client from uh, Australia who mm-hmm. really wanted to export the to, um, tomatoes <laughs> into into China, mm-hmm. but because they don't have uh, the bilateral agreement, they couldn't export mm-hmm. the tomatoes. But what they could do was they decided to um, um, process the tomatoes in a way um, to make ketchup and to make mm-hmm. uh, different types of um, products mm-hmm. that is processed. And if it's processed, it becomes not a commodity product. Mm-hmm. It becomes a product that has been... Consumer uh, rift, Yeah, a mm-hmm. consumer good, which does not then require the bilateral agreement. Mm-hmm. So then with the uh, hemp product, mm-hmm. uh, if combined with um, with other ingredients, mm-hmm. you know, making, for example, could, could, could it be possible to make it into a biscuit product <laughs> or, or a cake <laughs> product? Or, you know, th- there mm-hmm. are creative ways w- in which... Um, uh, you could approach mm. um, a product that is not compliant. So how how you can how how you can uh, approach it? Mm-hmm. Or what what are the options? Is, is is some of the key key answers we we advise our client. Mm-hmm. And so, this is something can help. Yeah, them. exactly. Mm-hmm. To to give them um, the options. What are mm-hmm. the options to 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 change the product? To make sure, or to make it into a, a product that is compliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think another finding that was very surprising is that a lot of uh, traditionally Lithuanian uh, foods that I grew up eating every day um, are not considered to be foods in China. So we had uh, quite recently, I think, four or five cases where in the ingredient list, like linden tree flower which we use as tea in Lithuania or um, what else was it quince quince uh, yeah. chamomile tea yeah even yeah. chamomile yeah yes wow so yeah, it's so not considered to be a food ingredient yeah, yeah. so you cannot include that as a component of your recipe mm, of yeah. some particular product yeah so a common ingredient that is approved mm-hmm. in the EU mm-hmm. may not translate into compliance uh, or, mm-hmm. or approval mm-hmm. in China. Mm-hmm. So it's so, so important just to step back mm-hmm. to, to firstly check uh, each ingredient, mm-hmm. whether each ingredient can actually uh, be, be, a, be is, is approved mm-hmm. in China. Mm-hmm. So, so, so that, that is really a good mm-hmm. example. So 
um, you're right there. So then, uh, what are the particular products that you work on? So food. Yeah. So so uh, we cover uh, mainly four different categories. Mm-hmm. We help with food and beverage, cosmetics, medicine, and animal feed. So these mm. four these four categories we we help with. Yeah, and of course, food uh, is is a very important category because the regulations are. As you mentioned earlier about changing, and it's very important from China to make sure that the um, food safety is at the heart of um, of of any imports. And because China has had quite a few scandals with mm. food safety, so they've really taken a very um, focused approach to improving their reputation. Mm. And consumer trust mm-hmm. to 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 fix this consumer trust issue by especially in the local domestic uh, market mm-hmm. to build that trust is by firstly implementing reasonable and strict regulations mm-hmm. to govern the market. So their approach is really really important. Uh, how they how they see things have to put into the angle of the, how, how the Chinese government's attitude is mm-hmm. by trying to fix the consumer trust issue by, by, by improving the regulations. And that would mean um, the regulations are evolving. Yeah. Constantly. Constantly. Yeah. And you never know what will be the next step, yeah, such as in like yeah. the salmon situation. <laughs> yes. And, and, and yeah, it, it, and because it's evolving to try try to keep pace of fixing the consumer trust issue um, that's why it's so important to follow follow this space mm. Mm. so one thing that people don't know is that some commonly accepted food ingredients in China are not considered as food ingredients but another thing is people who are selling um, items as commodities raw materials uh, sometimes we cannot pass the customs because of some pesticide levels or some other levels. And uh, what I found previously is that even though they try to adjust to the Chinese standards, they're not uh, somehow able to comply. But actually because the Chinese system uses different testing methods compared to what we use in the EU or in the US. And so I think that is also a very vital component to think about uh, because you would probably be able to access that information, what kind of testing methods are used and how people come to this index or that index. But usually people back home would just give up and would think that it is not reasonable without asking the right questions. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, The question about uh, testing methodology... um, Mm. Sometimes when you test the product for, for example, heavy metal or mm. bacteria. Bacteria especially, yeah. Yeah. Um, at home, the, the common system you use is a CK third-party testing laboratory mm-hmm. to test. Or if you have your own testing capabilities, you would test. And the results may meet the requirements. Mm-hmm. But because, as you mentioned, the testing methodology in China may be, may have a different system or a different mm-hmm. standard, 
And a different methodology in testing could also mean that the results could be slightly different as well. Mm-hmm. And if your results are just bordering, um, bordering the okay. limits, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. then, then if the methodology in China is slightly different for, for your situation, then that, that could, that bordering could also mean it exceeding the limit as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's very important for some uh, testing items that you may consider doing a pre-testing mm-hmm, in China mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just to make sure. And you can organize that. Yeah, you mm-hmm. can organize that. Um, and you can just do a, a, a testing for that particular test item mm-hmm. that is bordering the limit uh, according to Chinese requirements. And by doing a pre-testing, you're more confident Mm-hmm. That it will pass customs if they do the testing, mm-hmm. and that it's below the limit. And if it's if it exceeds the limit, um, then it's very important that you then you adjust the product mm-hmm. according to yeah. according to the standard. And uh, you said that uh, the Chinese uh, regula- regulators keep uh, improving their standards, and every year it's becoming stricter, clearer maybe better for the consumers. Um, what were the changes in the past 10 years that were the most obvious in these four categories that you work in? And uh, what are the latest changes that occurred uh, in the customs due to the pandemic? Yeah. So I think the biggest, um, the biggest regulatory change was probably stimulated after the infant formula scandal. Mm, in 2008. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, that is when um, when there was infant formula that was tainted, which uh, essentially poisoned a lot of children, caused their head to become uh, bigger. Mm-hmm. So that re- from that point on, the regulations from then have really taken a significant change mm-hmm. to make sure um, to improve the standards, to improve the regulations and you can see from product category to product category they've started off with regulating the highest risk product categories mm-hmm. and what so are the highest risk highest risk product categories um, as you could probably uh, imagine would, was starting from the infant formula mm-hmm. starting from the baby products mm-hmm. starting from the high risk categories such as uh, pregnancy mm-hmm. baby category mm-hmm. So mother and baby um, uh, category has has always from then on been uh, very scrutinized. Mm-hmm. And products with higher risk um, also include like dairy, um, temperature controlled mm-hmm. products. Um, and customs do have a uh, risk category profile mm-hmm. internally. Mm-hmm. Um, so for certain particular categories like those, they are seen as a high risk. So then the standards and the inspection at customs will be higher. For the pre-packaged products, um, which have a lower risk, so like your chocolate biscuits, things mm-hmm. like this, these are, are considered lower risk. Um, the way it's packaged is an influence. Um but essentially, because this is a food, uh, food any food product, uh, 
the biggest concern is food safety mm -hmm. for, for the government. So making sure from the government perspective, food safety is at the heart of, of how it, how it, how it treats mm -hmm. the sort of, uh, the, 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 the regulation and also the, how it categorizes the risk level. Okay, so if somebody talks to you about uh, customs compliance for food, mm. how long does it take normally? So, um, from the moment uh, after they provide the um, the materials, mm -hmm. so the the labeling artwork uh, to check the to check the um, to check the um, claims, um, the ingredients list. Uh, from then on, after they provide the materials, it takes around 10 working days mm -hmm. to provide a, a customs compliance assessment mm -hmm. to check uh, whether your product meets the requirements, whether there is a standard mm -hmm. uh, for your product. And then if your product has no problems in terms of the ingredients, in terms of the labeling claims, mm -hmm. then you can proceed to the next steps of designing a Chinese label. Mm -hmm. Um, which takes around uh, seven working days mm -hmm. um, to, un to design a Chinese label according to the labeling regulations. Mm -hmm. But it could take longer uh, depending on um, uh, the client side, mm -hmm. um, the marketing decisions they need yeah. to take. Um, and then once, once uh, the labeling um, of the product is uh, sorted and the HS code has been identified, then the product is pretty much ready for mm -hmm. export mm -hmm. uh, into China. So and end how to end, does it could the export take, procedure take? Uh, yeah. yeah. How long does it take? How many documents so, they need to prepare? So, mm -hmm. so how long it takes really depends on the product category. But mm -hmm. for a, for a pros for a prepackaged food, generally it could take as quickly as one to two months. Mm -hmm. um, for more difficult categories, it could take longer. And I think customs it, clearance takes I think, one to two months. Um, customs clearance um, usually takes uh, depending. It depends on the product category. Mm. So if it's a fresh product, mm -hmm. then it could be cleared within a few days mm -hmm. because the shelf life is very uh, short. Mm -hmm. For uh, certain uh, prepackaged products, mm -hmm. which are less urgent, it could take uh, around five to seven uh, days, mm -hmm. uh, depending on uh, the standard and also the testing. Uh, for infant formula or for other more stricter categories, mm -hmm. it could take uh, uh, one or two months. Mm -hmm. So, wow. it, it, so it really depends sometimes on on the product category. Mm -hmm. And you ask about documentation. Mm -hmm. um, how much documents are required? Um, end to end, there is around twenty documents mm -hmm. also during mm -hmm. the uh, customs clearance. Mm -hmm. So. The devil is in the detail, mm -hmm. so uh, making sure that all the certificates and the materials are in place. Mm -hmm. So employing someone who loves attention to detail is very, very <laughs> important, <Yeah. laughs> and especially for the case of uh, customs compliance. Mm. And if uh, after the after the clearance, then you can uh, distribute your products to the market. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, and you didn't tell me yet what were the changes I think about the pandemic time with the customs. Oh yeah, so so the the pandemic um, you, we could we 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 saw many uh, uh, exporters 
uh, hit a hurdle uh, back in uh, February, March, April. Um, last year. Last year, mm-hmm. yeah, last year mm-hmm. in 2020, um, when the pandemic became really, really serious in China. Mm-hmm. So there was lots of uncertainty um, and a lot of people uh, from a customs level, um, the, the people working at the ports mm-hmm. um, was basically uh, was basically delayed quite significantly. Um, people were not working um, and the disruption to um, logistics uh, overnight was quite was quite significant. Air freight costs became very expensive. Um, and the requirements at the port became very, very um, uh, delayed and also strict because there was a at some point uh, there was um, there was um, there was a scare about whether the COVID uh, virus could be on the uh, packaging or the surface of the product. So then they started to do uh, COVID-19 testing on, on, on random shipments, especially Mm -hmm. like from countries that were badly hit. Yeah. Especially Mm -hmm. from countries that were badly hit and especially for uh, seafood products Mm -hmm. and cold logistic products. Mm -hmm. These were especially um, uh, tested Mm -hmm. for, for, for any COVID, uh, COVID uh, virus. Mm-hmm. On, on, the, on the surface so of course that caused delay mm-hmm. um, add, 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 add extra days to to clearing and at the port level it was a lot of uh, internally uh, had to communicate mm-hmm. what are the requirements they were trying to learn because by doing they, they really didn't know nobody yeah. knew everything was changing yeah. every day no, and nobody uh, knew and, mm-hmm. and, and everybody was learning by doing because mm-hmm. it's such a, a new new experience for, for the world for, for the world <laughs> yeah so so that um, very quickly um, um, customs managed to um, recover to normal processing times mm-hmm. by summer mm-hmm. um Around by May, June, things started to clear uh, more mm-hmm. at more normal times mm-hmm. compared to the peak of the pandemic during February, March, April. And I think the yeah. funny fact is that uh, the import of food into China didn't see any decrease during the pandemic year. So yeah. throughout the year, it even increased at the end of the year. Yes. And so, <laughs> yeah. And another funny fact is that um, last year, out of the household expense in China, thirty-five percent was spent on food. I so think, <laughs> this I, is number one expense in a household. In yeah, China. and I think uh, especially Chinese consumers, uh, what do you do at home when you're bored? Um, you put on a movie and you buy. Food, snacks, mm. cooking. Something Every, that's exciting, yeah. something that's new. Everyone becomes a chef overnight. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you start, you start uh, cooking, mm. uh, baking, all sorts. So um, food 
is uh, has has been a category that has mm-hmm. been less less affected. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so our time is ending, um, and I know that we will have a mini contest, and you will be willing to give a gift to the listeners. But before we go into that, maybe you have any final words. Uh, maybe there's something you would like the world or the businesses to know about uh, China customs or China importation. Yeah. Um, I think a very important um, step when you decide to to export to China is really to choose your partners uh, very diligently. Make sure you have helpers on mm-hmm. the ground in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, and someone on your side. Yeah, that, just someone <laughs> on your side, mm-hmm. um, and be there and willing to guide and help you at all times. Uh, someone you can pick a phone to, to call, um, if there are any issues when, when, when you do encounter them or not, uh, just for, just, just for peace of mind as well. Mm. And I think uh, finding a great partner in China, uh, such as like Li Tao, mm. uh, Lina, you, you guys, us to help yeah, you, also, you, guys, right? you guys do <laughs> such a great job uh, to, to help Lithuanian businesses and, and companies from all over the world to guide them. You know, step by step, how to do it because China is a complex market. It's hard to do it from the offices in in Europe. It's there's a there's a there's an obvious dislocation or mm. disconnection mm. with with with, with uh, the understanding here. the reality yeah. here and just the culture and and how 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 business is done here is very very different and not to mention uh, the entire topic of regulation. Hmm. So um, that's one suggestion, if any, uh, to take away from this uh, podcast is really to choose your your friends, your partners, uh, to be on your side. And secondly, I would say, come to China. You know, hmm. once the I'm once not so easy now, <laughs> <laughs> you're not so easy now. But the pan the pandemic will end, um, hmm. and travel restrictions will will uh, will 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 ease uh, eventually and take the opportunity to visit, um, get a feel of uh, life here, experience um, the culture, uh, talk to the people, uh, see what go they think. Go to a supermarket. Yeah, go to the supermarket, uh, see what they think about your products, um, organize uh, uh, focus groups, organize um, uh, different different uh, distributor meetings which um, Lithau can organize and I think um, being on the ground here traveling here is a completely total experience and you won't regret it if you come here you will love it yeah <laughs> of course there are things you may not like but overall you you'll find this place quite amazing mm-hmm. very different very different. I yeah. think that's my yeah. takeaway too. Yeah. So thank you so much for being with us today. And um, I think that's the end of the podcast for now. Thank you very much. Thank you. So how did you like listening to Raymond? Hope you enjoyed it. I hope uh, that you found something that you didn't know before and that the black box of China suddenly became clearer and you found some structure. And I'm really happy to announce that um, today you can win a prize by asking a question to Raymond. 
about customs compliance or about product importation, anything that you think uh, would be interesting for you to know. And the best question will win customs compliance analysis for one SKU from your company. So when you're asking the question, you can also let us know what kind of uh, products you're planning to import and uh, even ask a question about that. I think it's very exciting. Please submit it before July 1st. And now I will be announcing the winner of the previous episode's uh, contest. This week it is Athena Zhu. She is now developing a coconut yogurt brand in China, which is very exciting. And she will be winning a book signed by Peter Peverelli. So let's see what question she had and what was the reply from Peter. So here I am today talking to Professor Peverelli. We have received quite a few questions, but the three of them were particularly interesting. And I yes. wonder which one you would like to answer. Uh, well, you send them to me. I have them here on my uh, WeChat. So I'm most interested in asking Peverelli, since he wrote his book, does he feel like Chinese corporate culture is, and Western corporate culture is converging and diverging? This is an interesting uh, question, actually. I have talked about that in another paper co-authored mm. with a Hong Kong professor. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the big questions, actually, mm. Uh, in, not only in the study of business administration, but in, in international business itself. My stance of what I see and observe is mm-hmm. that we are actually let's see, a diverging. I agree, yeah. Yeah, the converging is, idea is basically based on the fact that non-Western companies, non-Western business people were imitating the Western way of doing things because that was the benchmark in politics, but certainly in, in, in business. And uh, what we see now in China is uh, suddenly uh, leading, but it's not the only region, is that nations that are emerging to a stage that uh, emerging economy also brings in some, some economic some political clout, is that they stay, actually they get more appreciation for their own culture, their own history, their own ways of doing things, and they get more proud of it. So the West is less and less seen as a benchmark, as an example to follow. Mm. So for me, definitely, it's the diverging. Uh, agree. Do you see any particular new challenges appearing in uh, the global corporations as a result of this divergence and as a result of this new sentiment towards their own cultures? Yeah, no, well, uh, this morning uh, when I was looking at LinkedIn, uh, as usual, I saw an interesting uh, statement <laughs> post. I think it was based on a uh, South China Morning Post article. Mm. Something similar is that more international, more and more international brands, especially the Louis Vuittons, the Pradas, and the Gucci's and the Dior's, are using more Chinese or Asian and other Asian celebrities than Western celebrities. For some reason, someone was asking if that's related to racism. I think it's not, and most people. Who comments it's just where, business. But it's simply that's where the money is. Right. So, and people in, in, in Asia are sensitive mm. to seeing. They used to be, I can still remember that it's not that long ago, four years, five years, that I was with a, a lady from, uh, from the Hong Kong office of a British client, and that she saw an ad with uh, Jude Law. And said, mm-hmm. oh, Jude Law is such a man. And you don't hear that anymore because they, uh, yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. Western celebrities are losing their, their appeal. Not, 
there is still an interest in Western mm-hmm. uh, movies and, and, and TV and other things, but you know, the, the, the Eastern uh, stars and the celebrities are better for your brand, also uh, Western brands than, uh, mm. than uh, Western celebrities. It's one aspect, but it's not an important aspect because I think it's about millions and millions of dollars of, uh, of contracts. So yeah. it's, it's a lot of money. When it, so can... I heard the story that an international fashion brand had 70% of revenue, global revenue coming from China. Yes. But uh, they had no idea what their team in China is doing. And because the revenue kept increasing, they were scared. Yes to touch it because they realized that um, they have no control <laughs> over them and uh, that they yeah. didn't like any of the control also. Yeah, I can imagine that. I, I, I know the feeling, not for myself, of course, but I know the feeling yeah. from uh, what many clients are saying, but that's really your blame, blame, blame yourself, I would say, because there, uh, there, is enough, there are enough ways to learn about, about China. And actually the first one is not going there and, and sit there because but the first one is really get to know, get the right literature, you know, read things about Chinese culture and then go there mm-hmm. and stay there for well, another few days, uh, a few days to the China of, uh, the Shanghai office, a few days to the Bombay office, no, stay there for a few weeks, walk around, talk to people and get to know them. Do you have any book recommendations for getting to know them? Uh, yes, of course. I was actually... Uh, restraining myself of course that is an interesting book coming up so maybe later i can put it in the comments yes definitely yes both your article that you wrote uh, co-authored with hong kong and the books i think for me myself i'm a huge bookworm so i keep reading anything i can get my hands on my favorite of all time is chinning truth thick face black heart if you know So I think that really reveals the Sun Tzu's art of war strategies, how they're incorporated in negotiations in China. And Uh, you have to partly blame many of the authors of more popular books about China. But on one hand, they claim and they do, uh, some of them are very big, to reveal, decode, uh, they use words like that, China. But when you're finished, you still have the feeling of this black box. The author knows. And you know a little more than after reading, but you don't know everything. And I don't know whether that's the uh, original setup of the authors. I don't want to maybe. blame a lot of people, but the, the, the book that is coming up, mm. uh, which maybe you can share a screen yes, with, yes, uh, yes. later, is based on, uh, is completely, completely revealing the way Chinese culture works using mm. one single easy to understand uh, method, academic method, academic, but accessible to anyone. With a, mm, mm. Okay. okay, I'm very intrigued and very curious. It's and it's going to be uh, launched in August this year, right? Yeah, officially, uh, according to the publisher on, uh, mm. on its website, it's August 1, but it, mm. they, they, they told me uh, privately that it will probably be early. Oh, nice. Okay. Yes, so that's, uh, yes, no, we are, uh, we are also waiting, of course, for the for the results. Okay, so thank you very much for the answer. So that's it. Thank you very much for listening and I'm waiting for the questions on customs compliance. See you next month. Doing business in China is a complex world. You can quickly feel alone and lost in its maze. But don't worry, China Business Cast is here for you. Sign up for our newsletter and regular updates on our website at www.chinabusinesscast.com. Thanks for tuning in.